Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast, where healthcare meets business, with your host, me, Dr. Karen Litzy. And just as a reminder, the information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not to be used as personalized medical advice. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and in today's episode, we are going to be talking about how to navigate your finances, specifically as an entrepreneur. So what can you do now to get your business and life off on the right financial footing? And to help us through this conversation is my guest for this week, Maya Monell. Maya is the co-founder and chief growth officer of Navit Money App. That's NAV.IT. Navit is the fitness app for finances, providing personalized financial coaching to build good habits and live financially well. When she's not pitching, selling, or creating for Navit, Maya is working with her family's two foundations. She's devoted to closing wealth gaps perpetuated by a system not built for the majority of America and believes that financial well being is an integral part of creating a healthier and more equitable society. She's also an avid tennis player, skate skier, and runner with an obsession for physical, nutritional, and of course, financial health. So today we talk about shortfalls in financial education, planning for business KPIs, and the results of financial inequity, and how the Navit app hopes to address all of these concerns. So a big thank you to Maya for coming on to the program this week. And if you are in need of an app to help organize, to keep you on budget, and to talk to a financial coach, then check out Navit. That's nav.it, anywhere where you get your apps. So big thanks to Maya. And of course, thank you all for tuning in and listening. Hi, Maya. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to have you on today to talk all about finances, one of my favorite things. So thanks for coming on. Thanks so much for having me, Karen. Um, I feel like it's seldom somebody says finances is one of their favorite things. So I'm I love it. To unpack that with you. <laughs> yes, I am. I was just at a conference last week, and the one talk I couldn't wait to go to was um, financial wellness for your physical therapy business. And they talked, you know, oh, cool. all about the the sort of the big three: the profit and loss, the the uh, balance sheet, and the cash flow uh-huh. statement. And uh-huh. I. Even though I know those things, I always love hearing more about it and hearing more about how you can keep your business financially fit, which is what we're going to talk about today. Um, But before we do that, can you give the audience a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Yeah. So you've you've heard a little bit about the bio, but um, I come from a very... a very weird entry point into financial services and consumer financial technology, otherwise known as FinTech. Um, I actually started in sports marketing, um, both abroad, came back here, uh, but came back here and started in a kind of a growth stage position uh, with a budding fitness tech company. So not to be mistaken with FinTech, a fit tech company mm-hmm. um, that was really at the beginning stages of like the Apple Watch, the Whoop experience, the quantified self movement, where we were starting to understand, okay, 
all of these amazing professional and semi-professional athletes are training and traveling all over the world to perform in their best ability, but their strength and conditioning coaches can seldom go with them on those crazy tours as they're, and they're now extending those tours, you know, to longer and longer durations of time was, which was really inhibiting their performance, both on and off the field. And they were coming back like totally wrecked. Right. So, um, out of, Cal Berkeley and, and Stanford, um, our two co-founders at Bridge, uh, built out basically a training platform that allowed the, the coach to basically have a built-in assistant. So we were helping strength and conditioning coaches. They still are today. They're still doing a brilliant job of it. Uh, helping strength and condition, conditioning coaches build out um, a way that not only allowed them to deliver personalized training to athletes on their phone, no matter where they were in the world, but that also went a level deeper in using prescriptive and um, predictive analytics to prescribe better outcomes. So what that means is to say like, okay, we were doing kind of the first quality of life self-assessments every day where we were saying, okay, Maya, like how well did you sleep last night? All the whoop metrics, I'm a mm-hmm. huge right? Um, how stressed do you feel? How well hydrated are you? You know, did you eat enough? Blah, 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 blah. And uh, in order to to kind of train the the data set and the algorithms, once the athlete would report on those kind of self-assessments every day, the the training protocol would change. So if I just continuously reported that, you know, I wasn't getting enough sleep, I was totally wrecked um, day over day, then the system would automatically calibrate down for volume and load or that's a good example. Yeah. That's a great example. Yeah. Very yeah, cool. So it was very cool. Um, but on the self-assessment side, we started to really double down on stress and what are some of the key variables that are inhibiting this performance? Um, you know, week over week for an athlete, financial stress being a key integral part of that overall healthcare routine. Um, so we really started to lean in on that. I did a bunch of like external research. I got to work with a ton of really incredible female athletes. Um, I was very focused on the female athlete at that point, but I also worked with some men um, and just kind of got like the FinTech bug. I, I don't know. I, I realized that, you know, I've been so focused my entire career on fo- um, building out kind of using technology and building out better systems for athletes to perform at their highest level. And obviously that translated at the end of my time there down to the everyday athlete like you and me. Um, But one of the things that I felt like healthcare at large was really missing a narrative around and a protocol for, and some kind of preventative routine for was financial health. And, you know, it's because healthcare doesn't understand finances and finances doesn't understand healthcare. Um, and so we've really built out an app at Navit that helps bridge that gap. So it takes into consider- consideration quality of life indicators. It's measuring financial stress day over day, and it's directly attributing your kind of performance on that psychological side to the way you spend, save, earn, and protect your wealth. Sounds amazing. It's awesome. <laughs> and true, st- uh, financial stress, especially in these times, is very high for a lot of people. And I know I'm a physical therapist, so a lot of physical therapists have a lot of stress around their finances because of their student loan burden is so high. And how yeah. can how can they get ahead when they've got such a huge sort of burden on their shoulders? Mm-hmm. Um, and especially if you are in healthcare, you're a physical therapist, you're an occupational therapist, a doctor, nutritionist, a lot of us want to go in and start our own business. Mm -hmm. But again, finances, 
We are not taught this in school. This is not something no. we get in PT school. So how can healthcare and fitness entrepreneurs get their business finances right the first time? Yeah, I mean, it's really hard, right? Like we we actually have both the direct-to-consumer app and we also have an app um, that's that's serviced through your employer. So we're targeting targeting. That's a horrible word, but you know, we're, we're positioned towards verticals where they're kind of tech enabled, but under resource workforces. And that actually includes healthcare, right? Um, we're not taught personal financial management in school at any degree, only 4% of public high schools in the country teach it. And the resounding reason why is because they can't find the educators who feel confident enough in their own financial management to teach the course to 16 to 18 year olds. I mean, if that's not the most damning statistic on like where we are in society, I don't really know. I mean, there are a lot of them, but that's a big one. Um, but no, I mean, I think that, you know, the biggest place to start, especially if you want to start your own business is really your own cash flow, right? Um, I, we all talk about an emergency fund incessantly, um, but an emergency fund can also be considered an opportunity fund, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be for emergency. If I were your financial planner, I would say, I would love for you to have both a rainy day fund and an opportunity fund. Um, but I think starting your own business can be really scary because it's an investment in yourself first and foremost. And so if you don't feel confident in your ability to manage, then, you know, you're, you're kind of stuck in square one. Um, but that's to say financial services have done a really good job, kind of like healthcare, have done a really good job in t- in telling everyday consumers that it's too complicated for the everyday consumer. So I think the best place to start is honestly, like there are a ton of guides online. Some of them are good. You know, frankly, a lot of them are good. Um, if you, we live in an age where you can go Google, like how do I set myself up financially to start my own business? Um, normally what I tell people out of the gate is like start it as your side hustle. Like do not quit your nine to five, no matter what your nine to five is. I had an executive coach once tell me never run away from something, only run towards something else. I thought was really valuable advice on so many different levels, but especially when starting your own business, right? Just to say like, okay, I'm going to set this goal. I know that I want to be fully self-sustaining and own my own business full time in four years. What do I have to do for my own personal finances to make sure that I can attain that goal? And then you just work your way backward. I mean, obviously there are a bunch of different hurdles that you have to get through, but one of the best ways I think to kind of address debt savings you know, savings could mean some investment advice too, um, is find, you know, an app, like start to budget. So many people don't, but, you know, budget is not synonymous with dieting. Maybe for the folks here, that's actually a good, mm-hmm. a good analogy. Yeah. It's a good analogy. Um, for everyday consumers, it's not, but I think that they're, you know, it's honestly all about planning. Like money is literally dollars and cents. Anybody, anybody on the planet can figure it out. Um, you know, if the guys on wall street can figure out how to, how to trade, like you can figure out how to set yourself up for your own, um, entrepreneurial experience. And the question, I like, kind of forgot what the question was. Yeah, no, no, no. The question was how can, how can entrepreneurs, especially healthcare fitness entrepreneurs kind of set themselves, set them, set themselves up financially yeah before they begin or in the beginning cuz so right. often i feel like people just throw money at yeah, don't so, do that. <laughs> you know throw it throw it around like it's you know nothing um when you should be 
like you said, having a plan and, and look at where you want to be. And then you can work backwards and say, this is how much money I have now. This is where I, I want to get to. So what do I need to do? What are those steps I need to take to get to that financial goal in four years, in five years, whatever it may be. Um, and I think a lot of people who start a business, I mean, what is the statistic of something like most small businesses don't make it past what, like a year or two or something? Like only 2%, only 2% around 2% succeed. Right. And so it's like, well, I, I happen to think a big part of that is because they're not putting their financial roots down. They don't have the foundation of what they need. Um, I mean, it may, of course, like there's a lot of other stuff going on in the world that yeah, can certainly okay. take you down. But if yeah. you're, if you're not keeping an eye on, like you said, on your cash flow and what, mm-hmm. I mean, what, what, of course, you're going to be in big trouble if you don't have any money to pay employees or to pay yourself. Totally. I mean, money doesn't grow on trees. And I think, you know, some, I've seen some entrepreneurs do this in a really compelling way where they think that they're not very math minded. So yes, conceptually, they know that they need to like create a budget for their, for both their business and they need to probably create a, a stricter budget for themselves. But the, I think the most compelling way to maybe break this down, especially if you're not math minded, which is a s- stupid thing to say anyway, but, um, is to s- just build out your like business plan or your marketing plan, like build out your business plan build it out, even if it's four years down the road and then start to work your way backward, right? Like then start to kind of piece together different goals, right? Like in the fitness community, you'd never like day one of tra- strength and conditioning training. You never set yourself out to do a PR, right? Like, <laughs> the same is kind of a synonymous with, you know, it's the same situation with setting up your business. You're going to like work towards incremental goals that will be really strong indicators of potential success and viability for your business in two, three, four years down the road. Um, and I think that that maybe is like a more tangible way of thinking about not just, okay, I need $250,000 of startup capital. No, I like need to hit these smaller milestones that will ensure that I hit the 250K mark. Right, That which makes perfect sense. But it, it, here's, uh, let's say I'm going to play devil's advocate for a moment. Yeah. What do you say to people in the, in you know, the reels, TikTok, need it now has to happen immediately world. Do you know what I mean? Cause that's kind of where like it's immediate gratification is where we're at these days. And so what advice do you have to people to say like, Hey, you, you may get there, but it's not going to happen in a, a week, a month, or maybe even yeah. a year. You know what I mean? Totally. I would say, um, first of all, we live in a really toxic world <laughs> and that's, total smoke and mirrors. Um, and if you're, if I'm saying this to an entrepreneur, I would say, if you're like the get rich quick, like you want this to happen tomorrow kind of a thing, then you're not an entrepreneur. Like, I, I'm sorry to be just as, <laughs> um, you know, a negative back. I don't know. But like, I, I, the biggest quality in an entrepreneur, I think is adaptability. And you're not adaptable if you only think cut and dry towards, you know, I have to have it now and I have to have it right now kind of a thing. Um, So honestly, that's my response, helpful or not. Um, I think you have to really, you have to really understand what an entrepreneur, what that relationship 
will do not just to yourself and your own mentality, but also what it will do to people around you. I mean, my co-founder and I, when we first like ventured into this business together, we kind of did so realizing that this could be the longest relationship that we've ever had, you know? Right? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've been together with my husband eight years, right? Like, but you just never know. And, and it's such um, a huge milestone uh, in your life that you cannot treat it like some quick get rich quick scheme. It's just not, it's not the lottery. Like why would you ever play the lottery with yourself, let alone your business? Right. You can play the Powerball, which is now 1.9 billion, <laughs> but maybe you're yeah, only- I think we picked one up today, by the way. <laughs> so did I, but you're only putting down like 10 or 20 bucks. You're not putting your life savings into this. Hope- no. I mean, fingers no. crossed. Hopefully you're not no. doing that, right? No. Um, and you really have to, sorry, back to that plan for a second. I think yeah. part of the milestones is like identifying indicators that would indicate to you success, right? So like, it's super easy to be biased, obviously in your own success. Like everybody should be, if you can't invest in yourself, who do you invest in? But at the same time, you have to be fiduciarily responsible, especially if you have other people depending on you and like you need to persist in the world. So I think it's really important to say like even month by month, like, okay, if I land two clients this month, then like that'll be a great first sign. If I land five clients next month, then that's going to be an awesome sign. Like if you look at kind of one or two consistent key performance metrics that you can like leverage and scale month over month within like the first 24 months, then you could maybe at mile or month six and month 12 and month 18 and 24, those could be like your own installments of more cash, right? To keep it yep. afloat. But you yep. cannot, it's so easy to fall into this like limbo of everything will work out, but you have no idea what's actually happening in the process. Yeah, not not a good way to to start your business or or to be in business in any capacity at any timeline. Yeah. Not good. Like I understand no. the the universe has your back, things will work out. Yeah, but you still have to look at your opportunities, take advantage of the opportunities yeah. and know how to work those opportunities for yeah. the universe to have your back and things will work out. Like if you're totally. sitting on your couch, binging on Netflix all day, every day, it's probably not going to work out. No, no. You have to work to be lucky. Yes. Just like you have to work to be smart. And I would rather be lucky than smart every yeah. single time, but you still have to work to be lucky. Yeah. You still have to work at it. And, yeah. um, I think I, I love what you said, like you have to really hone in on what success means to you and what those metrics are, because I think so often, especially in the physical therapy space, a physical therapist starting their business will look at a more successful therapist, which is good. Yeah. You know, you want to understand how they got there, but you don't want to copy their metrics because they're going to be so different for you. Mm -hmm. And so really exactly. understanding your business and what those key performance indicators look like for you are going to be way different than someone who's in, been in business for 10 years or even five years or two years. Exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. So really kind of what advice do you have for people on how to, how to kind of get into like hone down on those KPIs, right? Like how do you, do you have any tips or tricks for people to to get that individualization. Yeah. How specific do you want me to go? Um, so specific I, you as know, you like. I love a good framework. Um, uh -huh. 
I, I think that, you know, high starting high level first of saying like, okay, let's take the next year. Let's take, actually, if you're doing your business plan, like let's take this time in four years, what do you want your life to look like? And what do you want your business to, what do you want your business to look like? And then you honestly scale back year over year when you get to, okay, what's my next year looking like, like the, the, the most, the, the nearest year, um, to where you are now, that's when I think you can really drill down into like, uh, key performance indicators, OKRs, um, like whatever you want to call them, you know, you can really start to say, okay, what are my key objectives for each month? What are my key objectives for the year? What are my key objectives for the quarter? And then what are the tasks and kind of results I'm going to expect to see in each of these months to make sure I hit those quarterly goals? Um, and, you know, it's really not rocket science, right? It's like if you need to hit a certain amount in revenue in year one, then what's your price point for your customers and how many customers do you need? Um, it's, you know, hopefully if you're if you're a small business, if you're a physical therapist, for example, like. I imagine you have some startup capital because, you know, you need certain types of equipment. You might need a space, whatever that looks like. Um, but there are also a lot of really great, like fractional CPAs. Like there are a lot of really, I think, good resources for small business owners now um, that didn't used to exist uh, that are pr pretty inexpensive for you to start up in a you know responsible way. Yeah. And I would also, uh, tell people if you're looking to start up to look into like the small business association in your yeah. state or, or even the, the national small business, or, I mean, I'm in New York city. So New York city has so many resources. Like you yeah. can get free um, counseling for your business mm -hmm. through the small business association, local colleges, like here at Columbia university, you can apply to the Columbia MBA program as an entrepreneur, and they will assign a team to you for like your marketing. That so, is and so then cool. that's what they use as their final project. So it's sort of this, isn't that amazing? Like what a win-win. So, cool. so yeah, look at it. those universities in, in and around where you live, because they may yeah. have these programs where you're getting MBA students to- Really smart help, kids, yeah. Yeah, to help with your- to help with your business. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's things like SCORE, which is, you know, you can uh, connect with, they're usually like retired CEOs or CFOs or CMOs, and you can yeah. have free counseling with them. It's what they, it's sort of their give back, you know, their pay it forward it. moment. So yeah. there's so many great free resources out there um, mm -hmm. to help you with your business and then to navigate. I don't mean to no pun no, intended we, we love, or navigate. Pun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> navigate your finances. And we'll get into the app in a little bit. Um, but be, before we do that, another thing mm -hmm. that I like about the company, well, there's a couple of things. Number one, I love that it's female driven. I mean, you have what a, your COO is, is a is man. Yeah. Yeah. And the rest are all yeah. like some pretty amazing women, which I love. <laughs> Um, was that a we conscious brought effort? on some really cool men recently? Yeah. I have to say, but yeah. <laughs> and was that a conscious effort on your part, or are you um, and your partner's part, or it's no, like these were the best people for the job? No, I mean, I think it was. It's somewhat intentional. I think our DEI strategy is really strong for such a small team. We're now about twelve full time. Um, you know, Aaron and I identify as women. We first launched the app to target uh, women specifically to, to kind of study who we knew best. Um, you know, we still maintain about a third, 
65-35 split male, uh, female to male um, on the app. So it's really important for us to have customer representation on our team. Um, but, you know, we also, I think, really pride ourselves across the kind of other minority metrics too. Um, and we've been really diligent on building out that team accordingly. And let's talk about that kind of financial inequality, right? Oh, yeah. So it, there's obviously inequality across many, many uh, domains in this world. But oh. let's let's talk about the... The color of money. Yeah, the results of, <laughs> oh yes, yeah. the results of financial inequity. So I'll just yeah. throw it over to you. The results of financial inequity are far reaching and persistent. Uh, that's for sure. I mean, I, you know, economic inequality touches every single aspect of our life. I saw a really funny, I'm, I'm actively trying to get off social media, but I saw a really funny, um, not funny, like horrifying, but true. Um, I don't know, real, whatever meme, whatever it was, uh, you know, about the election cycle and then the midterms and saying that, you know, we, there's no reason why we need to either vote based on, you know, our stance on abortion versus our stance on the economy, because with one, it was like 1.9 billion in annual healthcare costs going towards abortion. Like abortion is, an economy issue, right? An economic issue. Um, and, you know, racial wealth gaps, gender wealth gaps are an economic issue. Um, and we've lived in a society for so long that has been kind of powered by and influenced by people that look, well, really not like us, but no. you know, white men. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, white men who um, have actively built out a really comprehensive kind of doctrine of how to keep those outside of the norm outside of the outside of economic development so we take the most kind of clear example of this in a credit score system right where i mean women didn't have access to credit until like 1974 i mean crazy I mean, you had to have like your dad or your husband sign on yeah. for a credit card can you what? believe it and who and and the crazy thing is is who was making most of the financial decisions for the household Women. Yeah. 85% yeah. of women hold um, household expenses. And this is a really clear differentiator on the gender wealth gap issue. We hold the majority of household expenses, but we do not have the wealth generation decision making. This is why one in four women are not just victims in our country are not just victims of intimate partner violence, but 99% of those victims of that one in four suffer financial abuse along with all the other forms of abuse in the household. Mm -hmm. um, and this, I mean, literally gang, gather up 10 female friends of yours in some kind of relationship, ask them some hard questions about how much exposure they have to their combined household net worth. And you will be able to pick out those people in that friend group who are financially abused. I mean, mm -hmm. it's a pretty astounding situation that we have, especially when we have a huge, huge percentage of the population that's going to experience this huge transfer of wealth soon. I mean, so, you know, if you think about kind of the boomer generation of women who got access to credit in their mid to late 20s, they are having, you know, they had the millennials that are us and, and doing things, you know, in society now, but that means that there's really only one and now two generations of working women in the economy who understand and have 
um, advice, like advice from older uh, elders around them on how to access credit, on how to manage their money, on how to grow their wealth, on how to protect it over time. Like we do not have the infrastructure and the coalition that men have because we're new to the game, which is a horrible thing to have to like reconcile with. Right. So then how do we not only get up to speed, but then how do we get up to speed quickly enough so that we can take the transfer of wealth when our spouses die? Because it's most likely that your, you know, your significant other, if you're in a heterogeneous you know, uh, relationship, like, yeah. Uh, the man you, dies first, usually. The man, yeah, the women live longer. We'll put it right. bluntly. Women live longer. You, right. But unfortunately, average. all these women, especially this first gen boomer female are experiencing that transfer all right. and not having any economic power and not knowing what to do with it. Many mm-hmm. of whom, you know, credit cards were taking out in their names without any knowledge of those credit cards. They might have- right really inhibitive uh, credit scores and have no idea why they now again can't access the credit system. Mm-hmm. The same thing, I mean, you know, that we see the same thing with minority populations, right? I mean, we just actively have not provided financial infrastructure for communities of color. Um, so they literally do not have the same access to wealth generation as affluent white populations do just because of their proximity or their lack of a proximity to a quality financial institution. Like that's right. crazy. It's crazy. And <laughs> and not even getting into generational wealth. So oh, intergenerational in, in, wealth. Yeah. in communities of color, mm-hmm. the even the generation before mine mm-hmm. doesn't have the general generational wealth that that let's say a white population may have. Right. Because they were edged out of the um, housing market, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it yeah, is, it's like gerrymandering at its core, effectively too, and, and redlining. Like this is how we effectively edged out communities of color from this intergenerational. The key way to unlocking intergenerational wealth, which is, in our country is home buying. Mm-hmm. Um, we have effectively left them out of this equation. The interesting thing is, we are now seeing that cross racial lines with first generation. Um, millennials and Zs in this country as well, mm-hmm. because they, these are the popu- these are the the age groups that are gearing up to buy their first kind of starter homes, but they can't find the homes that are you know in their price range to buy. And we can right. talk about inflation until kingdom come. Right, but right. it's really interesting to see these patterns in um, really financial history and like banking history just continue to perpetuate the cycle of violence and like systemic injustice and all roads lead back to economic mobility and financial inclusion. Um, and that's why we really focus at NAVIT on financial health, because like, if you're not focused on the key determinant to your overall healthcare outcomes, which is your financial health and your access to the economy, then nothing else really matters. So. And so let's talk a little bit now about the app, about NAVIT and how it can help all of the things that we have been talking about today. So starting up your business, being financially fluent, the financial inequity. Can you talk about how that app addresses those concerns? 
and more and, and financial stress, which then leads to increased cortisol, which then leads yeah. to uh, inflammation, which then leads to pain. And then they have to come see a PT. Hypertension. Yeah. So there, exactly. yeah, there you go. And then your cost of care is exponentially more. And, you know, you have less wealth when you die. All right. the things. <laughs> yes. Thanks for asking, Karen. Um, so uh, where do I even begin? Yeah. So the app, first and foremost, so my business partner, Aaron, is a behavioral scientist. Um, and as you heard me say earlier, I have an interesting kind of career in fitness technology. So when we built the app, we always wanted to think about a financial app differently. We wanted to bring an inclusive experience to money that felt more familiar to a nutritional app, a fitness app, a mental health app, um, because we knew that that was going to be the way in which we changed your perception of what it meant to manage money well. So in so doing that, we're like, okay, we can't just focus on the key kind of determinants to financial health, which are, you know, spend less than you earn, save up for that rainy day. Um, and so, and, and pay off high interest debt. So, or, you know, there are a variety of different debts, but that's kind of the first one we focused on. The thing that we had to also bring in was, well, how do we measure behavior? If we are improving those core metrics, how do we also prove that we're in so doing your financial behavior actually improves your financial stress reduces over time, your financial confidence increases over time. So then we added in kind of these like quality of life metrics just to not just tell ourselves, but to tell and empower the end user around their financial journey of like, this is where you started out from an economic standpoint, like a, those traditional metrics of financial health. And this is like where your financial mind was at the time. And this is how incrementally over time, as you engage with the app, we really focus on daily engagement. You come in, you check your financial stress every day. You tell us about the last 24 to 48 hours of spending. We automatically propagate, you know, where you've spent and you tell us how you feel. It's kind of like a bumble swipe of like, yeah, that was a great purchase. Eh, I shouldn't have done that. Or it's mm. a utility, it's neutral. And then we aggregate that data over time to again, show you and empower you that by making these incremental daily habits, right? They're atomic habits or tiny little habits. Um, you're really reinforcing good behavior and you're setting yourself up for continued success because you're reducing financial stress, right? When, like you've said, when you reduce financial stress, you, re you improve so many other qualities of your healthcare outcomes. Cool. Okay. So we did that and that's, that's in the app today, but we also then added in, and I think everybody listening will hopefully appreciate this is we realized that we needed some peer to peer influence, but really we needed some like way to help users move from self-guided to, to also being able to access a human coach if they needed additional care, especially around key life decisions. Mm -hmm. um, so what we started to do is integrate accredited financial coaches. These are different than financial advisors. They're not here to tell you what to trade that day. They're literally there to be like, okay, where are you now? Where do you want to go? Here are all the different ways in which we can help you on that journey. So maybe you want to be an entrepreneur and you need to set your finance finances up for success in that area. They'll come in and they'll help kind of give you clear steps and check-ins to do that, just like any other coach. Mm -hmm. The last component that we did was we said, okay, 
how do we then move from the human coaching model back into the automated coaching? So like I was doing in fitness tech, like how do we also serve as like the assistant coach for that financial coach? Because people by and large do not want to interact with like their therapist or their financial coach every single day, right? Right, right. Probably maybe want to do it once a month, but how do we get them kind of incrementally kind of nudged along a financial experience every day that's not predicated on moving money, but that is predicated on, you know, how, what you want to learn about the larger economy, what you want to learn about your ability to navigate certain financial decision-making every day to like strengthen that muscle. Um, So we have started to build out an automated kind of recommendation engine. And that's what we're super excited to launch in December. Uh, I've been doing a slew of testing around it for like what feels like a decade. Um, and I think it'll be really powerful for users. Yeah. It sounds, it sounds very powerful. And it sounds for me, it sounds like, oh, this is a way to keep things organized. Cause I like, like you said, I like a framework. I yeah. like a framework. I like to be organized. I yeah. don't like to just pull things out of the air when I need them. I like it to be in, in an Excel spreadsheet. There's some yeah. sort of that my brain can, can deal totally. with it. Yeah. Yeah. My brain does not deal in chaos. Totally. We automate budgets. We automate your savings goals. Like we try and make it the best, most streamlined and Mm -hmm. fun financial experience you can get on an app. Well, that's a great uh, tagline for your app. (laughs) Thank you. We're (laughs) workshopping it internally right now. (laughs) The the most financial fun you can have in an app. Right here. Yeah. I, uh, I'll, I'll email you with some other stuff. Yeah, send, send some some point, over. There's a new feature that I think you're really going to like. <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah. now before we wrap things up, I just mm-hmm. want to hit on one other topic and that is, this is obviously November. So for people who are listening to this two months from now, know that this is November. And mm-hmm. so the holidays are coming up and talk about a time of financial stress. Right. So do you have any tips for people about how to keep that financial stress low as you roll into the holidays in the new year? Totally. I think people are probably seeing a theme within my <laughs> within uh, my recommendations these days um, and, and certainly today. But I honestly it's bucketing out the gold now. So it's to say, like, all right, you're only going to spend $150 on your mother-in-law. Like you're only going to do that. You know, (laughs) you're only going to do literally, I mean, because it's gift giving, it's holiday times, right? Mm -hmm. So like the easiest place to start is, okay, let's do the allotment for gifts. Let's map out the 10 family members that are like target critical. They will disown us if we do not get them a present. Okay. Let's take the broader family. Like what do we actually need to do is a card efficient could we give them an experience for the day? A lot of you, you know, are, are trainers and, and physical therapists, like give away, you know, give them. Oh, a that's a nice idea. Them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's super cool. Um, you can also get on bridge as a trainer. Um, let me know if anybody's interested <laughs> in doing that. Um, and uh, so I would say that's the first kind of goal, you know, the gift giving. And then like, I don't know if your holiday decoration I mean, I, I am, but I have all of my holiday decorations already. Great. Okay. So so I, I'm not buying a lot of new that. stuff. Yeah. Great. You're enough zero on that. Um, you know, and I think at the end of the day, if you can start to save a little bit now, like sign up for Navit and create, you know, a $200, $300, $500 savings goal and just like set it really aggressively. We've got a few weeks before the holiday craze, like 
don't go out as much if you, you know, want to store some extra cash. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think the most important part, especially cause we're in crunch time, like six months ago, I've been like, okay, here's your saving strategy, but we're, we're in crunch time. Hopefully you've saved up and you're like kind of prepared for this. Um, you know, I think like recognize what value, like personal value experiencing the holidays with your loved ones being out in the world and having these lived experiences like brings you as a human being obviously don't get into credit card debt I hope you don't get into credit card debt but like go easy on yourself you know there's so many now ways to aggressively save and hit retirement early and there's so many financial pressures on us now back to social media um that I think oftentimes we forget like the holidays are moment in time, a unique moment in time where we can like celebrate experiences and being together and family and all of the things that we care about that we haven't really been able to experience in the last three years. That's right. So, you know, don't get into debt, but like go crazy. Right. <laughs> go, go crazy, go crazy responsibly. Go crazy on a budget. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, this has been great. Are there any um, big takeaways you'd want the audience to come away with after our talk. I, I know we covered a lot of like broad yeah. topics, but what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I really think, especially if you know you're you're new to the entrepreneurial scene, or are honestly like even if you're just afraid of your money and you're afraid of the next four years or you're afraid of the next year. I mean, we've got some scary, scary shit happening in the world. Um, I cannot emphasize more the value of built like mapping out a plan and sticking to the plan, giving yourself grace when, you know, you fall a few dollars short back to that holiday, um, message. But I think it's so, so de-stressing to say, okay, these are the five things that are really stressing me out right now. These are the six ways that I'm going to tackle them. And just list them out. I mean, it's it's really valuable, and I definitely recommend starting with a budget and ideally a fun one like Navit. Yeah, perfect. Thank you so much. Now, uh, mm-hmm. last question. It's one that I ask everyone: is knowing where you are in your life and in your career. What advice would you give to your younger self? I was thinking about this through. So you did ask me before to <laughs> think about it. I was thinking about it right uh, throughout the episode. And I think that it goes back to that level of patience as an entrepreneur. Um, Patience and adaptability are really key. Uh, I think in your life, like no matter who you are, uh, Mm -hmm. it's super important. It's certainly the foundation of being a good investor. So, you know, if you are stashing, stashing away cash to retire one day and, you know, you are dealing with some market volatility right now, like be patient do not act rationally, irrationally, do not act on a TikTok influencer. Um, you know, be at patience. I like patience because a, I'm not patient. It's like my biggest flaw. And it's the thing I constantly work at every single day. Um, but I think because patience makes you like reflect and work at it, often, mm-hmm. um, often leads you into really valuable situations, whether or not your, you know, that patience leads you down to researching something else or, you know, meeting somebody that you hadn't expected to meet or, or pursuing a goal or, or overcoming an obstacle that you didn't foresee. Like, yeah, that's what I would say. Cause I was not patient in my early career. 
I can understand completely. And I think that's a great answer. I love it. Now, where can people find you if they want more information? Where can they find the app? Yes, they can, they, it's like kind of one and the same at this point. They know they can find the app anywhere they download apps from. So navit, N-A-V dot I-T, like to navigate. Um, you can find us on all the socials at let's L-E-T-S navit, N-A-V-I-T. Um, I'm just Maya Monell on Instagram. I'm kind of around, I used to be on TikTok, but it was not good for my psyche. So I had to deprecate that. Um, I'm on Twitter. You can find me like across the website is navitmoney.com. Believe me, across those platforms, you will find a line to me. <laughs> Perfect. And just so everyone knows, we'll have a link to all of those uh, platforms uh, that Maya just mentioned at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com under this episode. So one click will take you to anywhere you need to go. Uh, so Maya, thank you so much for coming on. This was great. Really enjoyed it. Karen, thanks so much for having me. This was a ball and I really hope uh, your listeners enjoyed it. Thank you so much. And to the listeners, thanks so much for tuning in. Have a great couple of days and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to leave us your questions and comments at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com.